out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. When the psalmist writes these words, he's reflecting on his own mistakes in life, his own sin, and he feels as though he is overwhelmed. He feels like he's at the bottom of the sea, which in antiquity was a metaphor for being in the place of the dead. He feels like his life is over. And if, as you've heard, as we've sung this morning, the psalm ends on a note of redemption, of new life. But that first verse is a universal cry, one that applies beyond sin and mistake and failure to every moment in life when you feel as though you're overwhelmed. Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry. I suspect you've heard that cry before. Maybe a friend called to say with tears in her voice, my marriage is over. And there was a cry. Perhaps you were in a hospital room when the doctor comes in and says, there's nothing we can do. And the cry is a deep moan. Maybe you were the one who uttered the cry in a, in a moment of sorrow or sadness, of fear, of frustration, of worry and anxiety. And in your heart, maybe the words weren't the same, but the cry was similar. Oh Lord, out of the depths, I cry to you. This one feels like he is at the bottom, at the end. He's in a place of dread and fear. His pain is real. You know, our world is, is a diverse and amazing place. What excites one person might be boring to another, but the one thing that unites us is our pain. Some may love nothing more than attending a Bach cantata, while others would just as soon go to a baseball game and have a hot dog and, and some Cracker Jack. But it's in our pain where we find ourselves united. I've seen this cry up close. One day a few years ago, when I was 35 years old, I was brand new as the senior minister at Sandy Springs Christian Church. I was pretty clueless, had no idea what I was doing, but I was eager and, and anxious to do all that I could to help that congregation uh, move and grow in faith. After I'd been there a few weeks, a man walked into my office. It was towards the end of the day, just before five o'clock. He stood in my doorway, and I wondered, who is this? He's wearing flip-flops, big, baggy, dirty shorts, a t-shirt that was wrinkled with a logo that I could no longer read. It was so faded, an ugly baseball cap and straggly, unwashed hair coming out from under, all the way down to his shoulders. I thought for sure this is a homeless person. He said to me, are you the preacher? For a moment I thought, I'm not sure. <laughs> I said, no, of course I am. Please, uh, may, may I help you? He said, yes, and I'm quoting him. I'm mad as hell at God, and I want to talk to somebody. I said, well, please, come in. He said, I'm going to swear a lot. Is that going to bother you? Not so far. <laughs> he sat down on my couch, and he told me a story. He said that he and his wife own a boat, and they've spent the last seven or eight years sailing around the Caribbean from, from island to island to island, just living the life, the life they'd always wanted. Along the way, she became pregnant and gave birth to a daughter, and now that little girl is five years old, and he said, we've come back to Atlanta to establish residence, get her into school so that she can go to school and, and start her life. But I had a doctor's appointment not too long ago. It was routine, I thought. But they did some tests, and they found that I have bone cancer. 
And the doctor says, I have a few months at most. At most. He started to swear again and caught himself. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Frank. I was baptized when I was a kid, but I haven't been back to church since I was 18. I'm 50 now. Do you think that's why God's punishing me with this? Do you think because I've not been back to church for 30 years? I said, mm, if God punished everybody who doesn't come to church, there'd be a lot of us who'd be in trouble. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I don't have an answer, I said, but I don't think it's that. I said, you know what? I'd love to see you in church on Sunday. I'd love for you to become a part of our congregation. We'd love to invite you. And he said, I'll come back, preacher. I might be dressed like this. I said, that's fine. Come on. It'll be okay. Every Sunday, he was there for several weeks. In fact, many times during the week, he'd stop by and we'd chat and we'd talk about life and faith and pain and sorrow and anger. Sometimes he'd swear. Sometimes he'd just sit there and shake his fist and cry. And then one day, it was obvious he wasn't doing well. But one day he came in and he said, I want to join your church. Can my wife, Donna, and our daughter, Tershel, can we join your church this Sunday? I said, we'll make that happen. We'll make it this Sunday. He said, I want to join Sunday. Sunday came. They weren't there. Waited and waited. And still they didn't show. About 12.15, when the worship service was over, my phone rang. It was his wife, Donna. Frank's in the hospital. The doctor says, there's not much time. I drove over immediately, walked into the room. He was there with his wife and his daughter. He was in some kind of a, uh, an oxygen tent, and there were tubes everywhere. And as soon as I saw him, he started to cry, and his wife started to cry, and then the little girl was crying. I started to cry, and we stood there, all four of us, with no words, just that cry, that cry to God from the depths. He stopped crying for a moment. He said, Preacher, I, I so wanted to join your church. I'm sorry I didn't make it today, and it just dawned on me. No, no, death isn't going to keep you out. I stuck my hand inside of that tent. I stuck it in. I found his hand, and I took a hold of it. I said, Frank, do you know that before you ever wandered into my office, before you ever wandered into Sandy Springs Church, do you know that before you ever went to any church anywhere, you were already the apple of God's eye? Do you know right now in this moment that God loves you as you are and that God's grace is great enough and large enough to welcome you and everyone else in this room. Do you know that, Frank? And through his tears, he said, yes, I do. And I said, Frank, in the church, we call that a confession of faith. And I now proclaim that you are a member in good standing at Sandy Springs Christian Church. Welcome, my brother, to the Church of Jesus Christ. And a week later, we brought his casket in that church down the center aisle. And we celebrated his wild and wonderful life. Out of the depths. From, from Frank, that young pastor that I was then learned how important it is to be honest in our pain, to shake our fists at God if we need to, to express our feelings and our fears and our worries, no matter what the words are that we use. This cry is universal in its ability to express the pain that so many, I dare say many of us, have experienced in life, whether you're five or 95 or somewhere in between, you know that pain, you know that feeling, that moment. Frank went through what the psalmist calls a redemption. He was redeemed. Literally, it means he was given his life back. Yes, he was dying, but he was given again that reminder of the grace and the goodness and the power of love itself. 
This is the work of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the church. It's our job to go wherever there is pain, wherever there is sadness, wherever there is sorrow or fear or anger or anything else, wherever the world needs life, hope, love, redemption. It's our job to go there, even to go, even to go into the worst places because we're called, we're commanded by Jesus Christ to go. You know, while I was at that church, it was, a, it was an interesting thing that every, every, every week we had to put a message up on our sign. It was, a, it was a sign on the corner that had those movable letters, you know, where you could change the message from week to week. I think in the South, by the way, it's a legal requirement that all the churches have a sign like that. And they put up these cute little messages and things. Well, what that church did was it always on Thursday through Sunday put up the title of, of the sermon for the weekend. You know, it would say, uh, the, the art of soul searching. Join us. One week, I preached a sermon titled, Have You Ever Been to Hell? Think about it for a minute. On Thursday, the sign said, Have You Ever Been to Hell? Join us. <laughs> we were on the news that night. I got calls from friends in California saying, Miles, is that your church that I'm seeing in Atlanta? Yes, thank you very much. Go away. <clears throat> I wanted to run out and change it. And then I thought better of it. Because that's the, whole, that's the whole point. Yes, the church is called to go to hell if necessary, to go to the almost hellish places in our community, in our world, in our, in our land, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, to bring justice, to bring hope, to bring love, to bring grace, to bring a cup of cold water, a bit of bread, a bit of food, a warm place to sleep at night. That's our job, to go wherever, wherever we are needed, to go to the hell. Even if you yourself find you're, you're, that you're in hell, it's our job, it's my calling to go and be there with you. Do you know that the Bible even confirms this? Psalm 139 says, if I go to the highest part of heaven, you're there. If I go down into the depths of hell, you're there also. My God, my strength, my redeemer. First Peter chapter 3 tells us that Jesus on the day after he was crucified descended where? Into hell and preached to the souls. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of our calling as a church. The overarching message of the Bible is exactly this, to go wherever there are those who are weeping so that we can weep with them and weep with God. I mean, think about this. I, I know many of you here this morning are, are married. I, I, I realize that you're, that you're married and you made a promise to each other. Did you not? Lewis Smedes, who was a good uh, uh, Lutheran pastor, says, your marriage vow was a promise to suffer. Insert your own joke here. Yes, please do. But it's true. It was a promise to be with each other no matter what you face, no matter what the other is going through. You made a promise, a vow, to be with that one. Uh, I've led many uh, marriage communication workshops in my life. One year I was, I was leading one and there were 12 couples there. One of them, though, was just extraordinarily attractive. I mean, I, I, this are not, not their real names, but I was calling them in my mind Ken and Barbie. I mean, they were just that cute. You know, they had perfect skin and perfect hair and white teeth and a really good credit report. They had everything you could imagine. <laughs> just, just perfect. But what I do in these workshops is I have the couples turn and face knee to knee. So their knees are touching, face to face, knee to knee. So their knees are touching. I remind, I remind them in that in our world, we have too many barriers to intimate conversation. A television on in one place or a phone buzzing nearby on the table. And so I said, put all that aside and just turn and face each other, knee to knee. And I gave them an assignment and a discussion topic. I noticed Ken and Barbie 
We're having an intense conversation. And when we were done, I said to the two of them, would one of you like to share what you talked about? And she said, yeah, I want to. <laughs> he told me that he's going through a tough time at work. He told me that he's been going through some tough stuff for about six months, and he's been keeping it from me because he didn't want to hurt me or upset me. And I got pretty angry, and I looked right at him and said, don't you know that when I stood with you on the chancel in the church, I said, for better or for worse, and I meant it. That's my promise to you. And by the end of her, end of her comments, all of us were crying, for better, for worse. And it was a promise. Sometimes a cry from the depth is a cry of love, a cry asking for the other to have the courage to accept our love and to give the same love in return. It's Brene Brown, the, the, the brilliant sociologist, who points out that the word courage at its root means, listen to her definition, to speak one's mind while telling one's heart. Originally, the word came from the French word for heart, cour. Courage means to speak from the heart, to be honest, to speak the truth. She goes on, to practice courage, compassion, and connection is to look at life and say, I'm all in. I'm all in. Well, I finished my sermon notes on Friday. And at this point, on Friday afternoon, I typed into my little Macintosh computer, I'm ready and willing to go anywhere and everywhere that God calls me. These are the words I wrote. I'm, I'm reading for you, word for word. I want you to hear them. I'm ready to fight for whatever God needs. I'm frankly scared to death, death to practice compassion and connection, but I realize that courage is not the opposite of fear. Courage is the willingness to name the fear and move forward anyway. I'm all in. I'm ready. Then I was going to close with a great story from a friend of mine named Mike, who's a youth minister out in a little town of Wairica, California, way up in the northern part of California, almost to Oregon, where Mike and his wife were putting in some new floor, hardwoods like this, putting in some hardwood floors, and he hired a guy that he knew was kind of a guy who'd caused some severe issues in, in, in his church and in his family. He'd been to jail, all kinds of awful stuff, but Mike got confronted by that guy about the power of grace. It's a really good story, and I'm not going to tell it to you. Not today. It was going to be a nice way to end. And then Charlottesville. And then Nazis with swastikas marching in the streets. And then white supremacists chanting anti-Semitic rants. Terror, not from the outside, but terror in the United States of America from the inside. At the beginning of this sermon today, I, I noted that this cry out of the depths is a universal one, one that applies in a variety of, of settings, one that speaks in a variety of places. That was true yesterday. Maybe yours was one of the voices of the thousands, the tens of thousands, maybe the millions who cried in one way or another, oh, Lord, we're crying to you from the depths of the ugliness of racism. Lord, we cry to you, hear our voice. Now let me say, last night as I rewrote this ending, my hands were 
very sweaty. My heart was beating fast. And even now it does. But as a follower of Jesus, honestly, it shouldn't be that difficult, should it, to condemn racism, to, to condemn racism, to speak truth to the ugliness of white supremacy, to challenge Nazis. It should be a fairly easy thing to do, shouldn't it? Marco Rubio, senator from Florida, he said, there's nothing patriotic about Nazis, the KKK, or white supremacists. It is the direct opposite of what America seeks to be. I've seen similar quotes all over the internet today, especially on Twitter. Orrin Hatch from Utah, Governor Kasich, our governor from Ohio, said something very similar on his own Twitter account today. I, I loved one tweet I saw from a man who said, I signed up to fight Nazis 73 years ago. I'm ready to go again if I have to. <laughs> I liked that. I like that a lot. Christianity Today. Do you know the magazine Christianity Today? It is the leading voice in the conservative evangelical church in America. It is a very conservative evangelical magazine. The lead article on their website today is calling for pastors in conservative evangelical churches to speak out against racism, Nazism, white supremacy, to be clear and united in their voice that the church of Jesus Christ will not stand for this. These comments are short and sweet and clear, it seems as though that it's not so easy for some. The silence is deafening. But truly, as a follower of Jesus, it's not difficult to condemn these things. It should be fairly easy to do. The more difficult task is to look in the mirror. The harder thing it's not to find my finger and, and point out all the, all the racists in the world that I can find and speak to this one or that one or somebody else, but to instead name the log in my eye, the prejudice and the failures and the racist thoughts that too often bubble into my own brain. Well, let me tell you a story. A few years ago when I was a youth minister in San Diego, I'd just locked up the youth buildings, was on my way home. I usually walked home from church in San Diego. It was always a beautiful day. Every day was a beautiful day in San Diego. It kind of got boring after a while, but it was always beautiful. 7 o'clock, 7.30, youth group was over. We'd had a good time. I was walking home when I heard some steps. I heard footsteps behind me. They were walking at the same pace I was. I did a quick glance over my shoulder, and I could see four young Hispanic males, Latino boys, 17, 18 years old. They were dressed in the typical uh, way those, those kids dressed in Southern California. They had their flannel shirts buttoned up at the top button, but open, exposing their white t-shirt underneath. They're wearing brown khaki pants and black shoes. Their pace was the same as mine. They picked it up a little bit. I picked up mine a little bit. I began to wonder, what should I do? Should I run? Running may be a bad thing. Maybe I shouldn't run. Maybe I should stop. I, my brain was full of all these thoughts. When one of them finally grabbed me on the shoulder and pulled me around, he said, are you Pastor Glenn? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, at the church right over there. Uh, right down here, that's me, uh, Pastor Glenn. Yes, uh, how are you? He said, we came for a youth group. Is it over? I said, oh, it started at 5 and it's done at 7. He looked at his friend and said, I told you it was at 5, not at 7. We're late. He said, can we come to your church next week? I said, yes, please. Please do. I turned and through racist blinders saw thugs and was almost kept from helping these young men find their way to a relationship with God. We have to name, we have to name 
our own failures so that we can move together towards the unity that God calls upon us. So I'm all in. I'm all in with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves the world, who came to set us free from racism and hatred. I'm all in in naming the, the prejudices and faults in, in my own life. The log sticking out of my own eye needs to be named and called out every time it appears. For out of the depths we cry to God to give us the courage and the bravery we need as a church of Jesus Christ to speak the love of Jesus, the love of God to a world, to let the world know that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, black nor white, gay nor straight. We are all one in humankind, one human race, under the one God who's given us the one love that will unite us now and forevermore. Let us be that church. We have been, we are, and let us, God, continue to be that church.